And this episode of Juice Guru Radio is brought to you by TriBest, making healthy living easy. Welcome. Welcome to Juice Guru Radio. Discover what the magic and power of juicing can do for you. And now, your host, best-selling author of The Complete Idiot's Guide to Juice Fasting, Steve Prusak. Well, hello. Welcome to the show. I'm Steve Prusak. And how does a young woman with a crippling stage fright become a record-breaking Broadway star? Well, Sandra Joseph spent nearly a decade playing Christine in Phantom of the Opera, and now she's on a mission to empower other people's voices through her work as a keynote speaker. And she's the author of the new book, Unmasking What Matters. And we've got to hear it's right from my bookshelf to the show. We'll be back right after this with Sandra Joseph. Well, welcome back to the show. I couldn't be more excited. we got Sandra Joseph. I've seen her on Broadway myself. She played Christine Daae for 10 years on Broadway, more than 1,300 performances, and earned the record as the longest-running leading lady in the longest-running Broadway show of all time. So if you're a fan of Phantom, tune in. And even if you're not just Broadway or just self growth this is for you she's been seen on numerous national broadcasts including the oprah winfrey show cnn uh the today show dateline the early show the view and now on juice crew radio let's welcome to the show right now sandra joseph hey steve how you doing sandra thank you you know i'm a huge fan and i'm freaking out that we have you so thank you for being here (laughs) thank you so much for having me i love that you love the show that's awesome oh my god who doesn't right (laughs) Well, it's not everyone's cup of tea, but what I'm doing now really does apply to people who aren't even interested in Broadway, um, because I'm really just using the lessons that that whole journey taught me to talk about how we can all become more of our unmasked selves in the world. Well, it's amazing because you come from a background where no one would imagine that you'd have stage fright to someone who stepped into the role of the leading lady on the longest running show on Broadway. So take us back. How did that happen? I know you talk about it in the book with Annie and all that, but how did it happen that you overcame this and started to live your passion? Yeah, well, I knew that I loved singing and acting from the time I was quite young, but I had no interest in being in the spotlight. In fact, that's what I avoided at all costs. I was a shy, introverted kid and it just did not want people looking at me. <laughs> so the idea of getting up in front of a bunch of strangers was my worst nightmare. But, you know, I, I always say if you love something just a tiny bit more than you fear it, the love will always win in the end. It really was, and like it is for all of us, that choice between love and fear. And I ultimately had to befriend my fear and bring it along for the ride in order to pursue this art form that I fell in love with. Well, I love it. And the book has the 10 lessons here. We recommend it. It's Unmasking What Matters. It's Juice Guru Approved. It's on my bookshelf. And I've been loving this book. And uh, what's really great is that you've stepped into this role to really help people with other areas of just evolving, right? Exactly. You know, I I spent 10 years on Broadway, as you mentioned, and at the end of that time, I really recognized I was ready to move on and do something else. You know, I think so many of us, once we've achieved something, 
there's a calling to give back or to share what we've learned. And I wanted other people to have success in, in whatever it was that they wanted to pursue. So I, I gathered the nuggets and the tools and practices that helped me to, to become more of myself, to learn how to stand in my power and be more present and and I share them in, in a way that I hope will help other people empower themselves and find their own voice and be able to go after their dreams. Well, this is so hard for me because I just want to geek out on Phantom of the Opera all day with you, but we're not <laughs> going to do it. I'm not, I'm not going to be selfish. I have so many questions about it and what that was like. And maybe we can touch on it a little at the end just to make sure. me happy. But it's about everybody here. So I, I get that. <laughs> So let's talk about some of those lessons that you learned along the way and how, you know, when it came to the end of the run, some of the challenges that you came up against. Yeah. So, you know, it is, it is interesting that you're a fan of the show and, and my book does share my phantom journey as a backdrop to these lessons. And the first and most important lesson, in my opinion, of the 10 life lessons in the book is the first one, which is to see behind the mask. The, the one thing that I know for sure from being a part of Phantom for so many years is there's something that has universal resonance about this idea of masking. I think we all can relate to what it feels like to cover up some part of ourselves because of fear that if you saw all of who I really am, you'd run the other direction. We all, it's, it seems to be particularly problematic here in the West. This, in some extreme cases, self-hatred, real self-loathing. But even those of us who are on the spiritual path or have been in the personal development world for some time, often there's still some lingering sense that we are fundamentally flawed in some way at our core. And what I know after, oh, you know, that, that beautiful scene in Phantom that breaks the audience's heart every time is when Christine is finally able to see the Phantom without his mask and offer him love. Mm. If we can begin to offer that same kind of love to our unmasked selves and of course to each other, but often it's easier with other people than it is with ourselves. But recognizing that who we are in all of our imperfection is really enough. I mean, beginning from that foundation of fundamental self-worth and a willingness to be vulnerable and show up despite our flaws and imperfections, that alone is incredibly empowering. Yeah, you have to wonder what it is that draws people to the Phantom, right? Is it the music's amazing, of course, right? Andrew Lloyd Webber, it's it's got to be his best. But is it the story? Is it that connection with the Phantom that people are resonating with? Well, certainly, it's such a phenomenon. This show, it's it's not only the most successful Broadway show of all time; it's the most lucrative entertainment enterprise of all time. It's outgrossed even the most successful films in history. $6 billion in worldwide box office wow. grosses. It's been seen by more than 140 million people in uh, more than a dozen countries. So you can't ever like figure out what's the recipe for something becoming that kind of phenomenon. Certainly people love the music. 
I think there's something in in the vibrational field of that music that that resonates with people. But I do think there's something in that story of uh, of uh, how we all just want to be seen. We want to be seen and and to know that we're loved. It, it, that to me is is one of the fundamental lessons from that show. And it was a challenge for me, even at the height of my success. Here I would play that scene night after night, seeing the unmasked phantom and just loving him so wholeheartedly, recognizing the sacredness of that moment, but then going home and beating up on myself for whatever mistakes I may have made that day <laughs> or, or that night during the performance. Um, it's a challenge for so many of us to recognize that we're okay just as we are. Yeah, I think I found that the most interesting in the book because this idea that, you know, we have a perception of people that are successful. Here you are, Christine Daae, 10 years running, how many, I mean, thousands of, over a thousand performances. And you would think that you would be complete and accomplished, but yet you would beat yourself up because you didn't hit the note right, or maybe something didn't go the way you planned. And even still at that level, we still have a tendency to think something's not right with ourselves. Oh my gosh. This to me has been the most profound lesson that I keep learning over and over again now I'm doing keynote speaking and uh, private events with business owners. And the one thing that I find so fascinating is these incredibly successful people, uh, many of them men, who to me, I would look at and think, oh my gosh, people in finance who are managing the wealth of millions of dollars for other people and huge corporations, manager positions with dozens of people under them, and they don't feel successful. They don't, they can't put their head on the pillow at the end of the night and feel like they, they're okay, that they've arrived somewhere. Because I think our culture programs us to look at the next rung on the ladder, to, the, to compare ourselves to where we think we should be or where someone else is. And it takes real discernment to to stop that endless treadmill of bigger, better, more, and recognize that there's no end in sight to that. We can play that game with ourselves forever. And it's what in Buddhism is called the hungry ghost. It's like this, this little thing sitting on your shoulder, hovering around you that says, you're not there yet, you're not enough. And there, when we can really turn toward we're, how far we've come and see what we have and appreciate it and really own our success and, and embody it, no matter where we are in the journey, if you're still just beginning a, a new path and struggling, still you can honor and appreciate how far you've come. And I think from that place of abundance and gratitude we're open to receive even more. It creates a different energy field from which we can be more present, more relaxed and, and grow from there, but not with that endless sense of striving. Yeah. It seems to be a sickness in our culture, almost the not good enough syndrome. <laughs> I mean, it's really, 
Yeah, and I love that we can talk about it and people are probably watching this and identifying it. And here it is, even you experiencing it and the people that you're working with. So let's talk about some of the ways. Yeah, awareness is good. How do we start to overcome it? Because even on social media, like Facebook, people have a tendency. Well, they they're getting all these videos, their videos being seen and they have more friends than I do. And all of this uh, hamster wheel things that are holding us back by, from being the best we can. Absolutely. It, I call it a culture of compare despair. <laughs> you know, we're constantly in compare despair when we're on social media looking at, you know, we show our best moments or we don't show our, our self-doubt on there as much as we're showing our best face on Facebook. And it does take, I think, some practices, some, some wise effort so one of the things that I talk about in the book is the importance of an active taking in the good. That's a practice that comes from neuropsychologist, Dr. Rick Hansen. And it's the way that we can actually begin to rewire our brain by focusing in on positive experiences, feelings about ourselves. Um, you know, there, we've, we've heard Louise Hay talk for decades, God rest her soul, about mirror work and, you know, looking lovingly into your own eyes, which is a bit much for some people, although it can be incredibly effective. But the simplest things, like in, at the end of the day, go do a quick review in your mind and think about where you, where you accomplished something. It could be as simple as answering an email. I mean, taking in the good about uh, uh, your accomplishments that day, a place where you were kind or, or a place where you extended yourself for someone else, made someone smile. It can be the simplest things, but really taking in a sense of being fundamentally a good person uh, with good intentions. We're not trained to focus on what's good about ourselves, but we are highly attuned to anything that's wrong with us. And the, the brain evolved to pay more attention to the negative experiences and information than the positive. It's called the negativity bias in the brain. So to tip the scales in and balance things out, we, we do need to actively soak up the good about ourselves and it really does begin to retrain your brain. Do you think if, you know, you had that experience when you're in this role and beating yourself up because of the performance didn't go exactly as planned, what would that have meant for your, you know, journey through that role of, for what was it? 10 years in six nights a week in yeah. the same role. I had some of these practices. I, I developed certain practices for myself during the course of my 10 years. And one of the things that I would do to combat my tendency to only pick apart my performance, find the flaws, I began a practice of writing down at the end of the night five things I did well. And sometimes it, the first one would be showing up, that I, I showed up to, and got out there on that stage, even though there were still times when it felt terrifying to me to go out there in front of thousands of people. Uh, so having the courage to show up, we can always give ourselves permission for that, even if things don't go the way we want to. But a lot of the practices and tools that I write about in the book are either I've developed along the way, 
or there are things I've since learned that I wish I had known back then that would have served me really well. Well, some people might say 10 years in the same role, six nights a week. You know, we can think of the movie Groundhog Day. It's like you're reliving this structure. What is that experience like to, you know, how do you keep it fresh when you're going through that night after night or even during the matinees? It's a great question. You know, it really is very much like like Groundhog Day, that movie. It's like a recurring dream that happens right. again and again and again. And it it is, um, it's a, a trippy mind thing. You know, it really taught me to practice everything I've ever learned about present moment awareness. And it's the same challenge that we face in life, even right now in this moment, as we're here, are we really here? If, you know, the Buddha said, when you sit, sit, when you stand, stand, when you, when you eat, eat. We, we are so often doing 10 things at once, or we're doing something and our mind is elsewhere. It's easy to go on autopilot when you're on stage singing a song you've sung a thousand other times. But coming back to this moment, to right now, it's never happened in this moment. So that just that alone, the awareness of just like when you when we meditate, you know, the mind wanders and then you notice it has wandered and without judgment, you gently bring it back. So there's that it's a practice of return to the present moment again and again and again. And did I do it perfectly every night? Of course not. There were certainly times when I was up there singing and making a grocery list in my mind. Um it's bound to happen when you've done something so many times, but you know, actors and musicians and artists, it's, it's, there's, there's really, I think such a respect for the craft and such a genuine desire to do it to the best of our ability that it, we're always motivated to try because it feels really lousy to phone it in. Nobody feels good at the end of a day, if they're doing that. So I would do everything in my power to, to keep it fresh, to keep my energy high. Um, and to remember that the people out there are seeing this show perhaps for the first and only time. And how do I want to show up for them? They've, they've saved up a lot of money in some cases to take a trip to New York and see this show and have that experience and that sense of purpose behind it is, is incredibly motiv motivating to, I think, for all of us and whatever it is that we do. So what led to the end of the 10-year run when you said, you know, this is it? And what was that final performance like? Mm, well, I started, I knew for at least three years before I left that I was ready to go. And I stayed honestly, longer than I should have for my own sanity and well-being. <laughs> and it really, in many cases, was it, in many ways, it was out of fear. It was a, a failure of courage that I didn't leave sooner, quite honestly. Um, and here's the crisis that I was in. I knew that not only was I done with Phantom, but I was done with Broadway, that I wanted to move on and do something completely different. But I had no idea what that would look like. And transitions are scary, as so many of us know. So many people are, don't, not, are not staying with the same job or even the same career path. 
in some cases and reinventing going back to the to being a beginner, really challenging stuff. Um, but my final performance was just a love fest. I I write about it in the book. You know, I I put a note on the board for my castmates that just said, don't cry, the Dr. Seuss quote, don't cry because it's over, smile because it happened. And I, my heart was so full and I, I just, you know, the show changed my life. It was such a dream come true. I met my husband in the show. I married one of my phantoms, <laughs> my co-star. We met in the show. I mean, it just, it, it changed my right, life. That, that wasn't Michael Crawford. We know that. No, it was Ron Bomer. He, he joined uh -huh. the tour in uh, 1997. We've been together ever since. Um, so it was, it was, I can't even say it was bittersweet. It was just sweet. Because most people working on Broadway do go from show to show, right? And especially you're in a position of the lead in Phantom. I'm sure there were tons of opportunities to, to do other work, right? It doesn't really work that way, to be honest. I mean, for a very select few, they go from show to show. My husband has done half a dozen or so Broadway shows, and right now he's in the Book of Mormon on the national tour. Um, but in some cases, you're, I mean, the, the phrase is, everything you do, you still audition. That's from a Sondheim song, putting it together. We're always still auditioning. And there's no guarantee that you will get the next thing. You've got to be the right fit at the right time. It has to fit like a glove. So who knows what would have happened if I had continued to, to pursue that field. But I was so clear that my heart wanted something else. And, and I did have a suspicion that it had something to do with some sort of humanitarian element where I, I wanted to use what I had learned to inspire other people to go after their dreams. And, and I began speaking to young artists about their fears and having bigger dreams. But very quickly, uh, people in the business world heard my story and really related to it. And they saw connections that I didn't even see in the beginning. So now I'm, I'm primarily speaking in, in business circles. Well, the parallels between unmasking and the phantom and the ideas. I mean, when we think about acting, that is a profession of wearing lots of different masks, right? So you had to get to the heart of who you were taking off that mask and just really being raw by the end, right? It's interesting. You know, even as actors, the best actors are the most truthful, the most authentic. You, you, they're using their own authentic essence to bring some aspect of that character to life. So I share in my keynotes and certainly in the book, the story of how I even landed the role of Christine, which for me really was about dropping the mask of trying to prove I was Christine and bringing more of Sandra into the, into the audition room uh, when I was really letting my heart be revealed. And this is the essence of what I'm talking about when I talk about living an unmasked life is how can we meet vulnerable experiences with, with a wide open heart? And I think it's particularly challenging for men 
to embrace their vulnerability because they're taught that it's weakness. Renee Brown has taught us so much about the power of vulnerability and how vulnerability really is where our strength lies, our deepest strength. So I think the journey we're all on is continuing to strip away the layers of what separates you from your direct, authentic experience of life and your most authentic, truthful expression of who you know yourself to be on the inside. Let's talk about some of the other practices. You talk about meditation. What about some of the other life practices that you've picked up along the way that you find are helping with the journey? One of the most powerful practices that I have had to return to many times is a practice of self-compassion. And Dr. Kristen Neff has taught us a lot about self-compassion. She's done a great deal of research on it, has written about it extensively, has TED Talks about self-compassion. And the practice is very simple. In any moment of when you get triggered or you're angry or you're suffering in some way, you've messed up, you're beating tendency to hate on yourself. There's three simple steps that you can do. Number one is to recognize this is a moment of suffering. The simple awareness and recognition and to say to yourself in that moment to catch it, interrupt the pattern and catch it. This is a moment of suffering. Number two, to recognize common humanity. To to go from, I am suffering right now, this is a moment of suffering, to everyone suffers. Every single human being goes through something that is painful, that is difficult, They, they make mistakes. I'm not alone in this, common humanity. And the third step is to then treat yourself the way you would treat a friend who is suffering in that moment. Speak to yourself with the same tone, the same words, and give yourself some kind of loving, reassuring gesture. Maybe it's touching your own hand, touching your face, whatever feels comforting and soothing to you, to learn how to self-soothe in in healthy ways, as opposed to what we most often do, which is have a drink or go online and you know, distract ourselves from the feeling to learn to tend our own tender emotions. That to me has been a, a life-changing practice. Great tips. And what about people that just are, are overcome with fear? I mean, you're someone that had stage fright and, you know, you went from that to really, I mean, talk about conquering a goal uh, <laughs> to getting out on Broadway how do we talk to people who just are in fear of stepping out to being in alignment with the life they should be living? Yeah, well, I have such compassion for for people in that position because that was me. That was absolutely me, just terrified and filled with stage fright, self-doubt uh, on every step of the journey on the way to Broadway. And even while I was there, I, I never really conquered it, but I learned to make friends with it. And one of the practices, it's, it's not really practice as much as it's a mindset shift for me, is recognizing that the, there's a cost to being seen, to putting ourselves out there. The fear, the vulnerability we experience it is costly, but 
there's also a cost to staying invisible, to playing small, to not giving yourself the opportunity to walk toward what it is that you know in some quiet pocket of your heart is, is meant for you. And to me, just looking at those costs differently, recognizing, and I got the, I got the lesson in a, a very profound way when I was young. I got my first solo in, in school when I was in the fifth grade. It was three lines in my fifth grade Christmas concert. And I was so excited and terrified to do it. And at the last minute, I saw the crowd and I chickened out. I, I begged my teacher to give the solo to someone else and she did. And I got to stand there on the risers and watch as someone else sang those three lines that I had practiced. So I got it in a really visceral way, what the cost of not taking a risk feels like. So there's the potential cost of taking a risk. You, you might fail, it's true, but there's a certain cost to giving up on yourself before you try. And, and, and you know, Erica Jong said, I have gone ahead despite the pounding in my heart that says turn back. And that's what I say to people who say, how'd you conquer the fear? I say, I didn't, but I've gone ahead. I kept walking, kept my feet moving, even when the scared voice in my head was saying, run. <laughs> and do you think some of the talent was natural? Did you work hard at honing the craft? Because, you know, there, not everyone achieves what you did to, to get to that level of getting on Broadway and, you know, the same role for 10 years, the, the most popular show on Broadway. I mean, you really talk about conquering a fear. How much of it was innate, you know, this, this natural talent that you maybe you were born with and how much of it was, you know, honing your craft? Oh my goodness. Well, certainly I think there's a combination. Uh, I had a natural facility for singing that I developed over countless hours. I mean, that you talk about the 10,000 hour rule. I think that was Malcolm Gladwell that brought to our attention. Right. And I mean, there were more, more hours than that. And there still are. I still study. I still work with coaches. Um, so the training was absolutely essential. I worked my butt off. But... And yes, I, I recognize I was incredibly fortunate to land that role and keep it for as long as I did. And the training helped, the working through my fears, the, the practices, all of that helped. But ultimately, what I've come to understand is that even if I hadn't gotten the part, even if I hadn't had that journey, just the act of pursuing it and training for it gave me gifts that I couldn't have received in any other way. The fact that I walked toward my fear and learned how to drop the mask and, and be authentic and vulnerable, that was gift in and of itself. It really, truly was. Because the, the ultimate result of all these things we're striving for is that we get to come home to ourselves we get to land in our own skin. And it's, it's less about what we get or where we get and more ultimately about who we become. That's what I, I 
I say that my book is ultimately about that the journey up is no substitute for the journey in. And all of that training and all of that moving through fear was an inward journey that would have served me even if I hadn't gotten the big, the big splashy thing. Now, I'm grateful I got it, <laughs> but, but even for people who don't get the thing, what you get is more important. You get you. You get the authentic you. The name of the book, Unmasking What Matters, 10 Life Lessons from 10 Years on Broadway. We're here with Sandra Joseph. Please get a copy. It's part of Steve's book club. I'm reading it now. It's on my bookshelf, for real. It's on my, on my night table. And uh, you can get it on Amazon. And what are some of the other best ways to follow you, Sandra? I've been on your website. Is it sandrajoseph.com? It is. And I'm in all the usual places. I'm Facebook. Twitter, Instagram. I'll be honest with you about the fact that I'm not terribly active on any of those because practicing <laughs> what I preach for me is staying, staying true to what matters most to me means I limit my time on all of, all of those social things. Um, but I'm there and I, you know, I love hearing from people, of course, um, can message me on Facebook or go to my website, send an email. And we're here in the now, and thank you for being here and authentic getting in the now. And I always like to ask, like, your plans for the future, but, like, what, what are you going to do? So you've got the book tour pretty much. I mean, you're doing the keynotes and stuff. What do you see in the future? I don't know. I'm, I am wide open to what is, is happening now and what will happen as a result of this. You know, I, I feel so complete with the big career journey that I had that now I feel like my journey is to just love the world, <laughs> to wake up every day and see my life and love the people that are across from me and whatever doors open, I walk through them. And thankfully plenty of doors have been opening. I find myself in places I didn't ever imagine I would be. I do a lot of, private parties with financial advisors as thank you events to their clients, business owners, client appreciation parties, keynotes. Um, and I started a little concert business because I have plenty of talented friends who love to also sing and share their gifts. So we do private parties, do the entertainment for that. Um, and I'm just having a really fun second act that I, I could not have imagined. <laughs> Yeah, and we just passed the 30th anniversary of Phantom of the Opera, right? That, how was yeah. that experience and coming back together with the cast? I saw some of the pictures from that. Yeah, my husband and I went back to New York and watched the performance. And then there was a, a black tie party at the Rainbow Room afterward. Andrew Lloyd Webber was there and Sarah Brightman and Hal Prince and seeing so many old friends. And just watching the show again was really surreal and and moving i was very emotional i just felt my book had just come out the day before so it was quite a, a whirlwind um, of a trip being back to new york and in that building where so much of my journey took place um and i just felt such profound gratitude that that I got to be a part of of the show that's meant so much to so many people over the years. 
but we're not able to hear you on the cast albums, right? They they recorded that. They did the England one. Did they? They never did one in the ten years you were there. They didn't. No, they always sold the original cast recording. Um, but I do still sing all of those songs when whenever I'm at an event. I I sing songs from Phantom in my keynotes and everything. So they're still ever present. And I am going to do a CD at some point of inspirational music and of course i'll include some of the phantom songs right i I told my wife i won't do it i won't break out the karaoke and do all i ask of you (laughs) it's hard (laughs) but i I can't make a fool of myself you know i just can't but thank you Sandra joseph thank you so much for being here on juice guru radio and the wisdom the years of broadway and we're all such fans of the work you do i was lucky to see you twice on broadway in the role and and you were great both times you were incredible so thank Thank you for being here it's really a dream for me so i really want to thank from the bottom of my heart that's without my mask that's that's the authentic guy telling you that thank you so much steve that means a lot to me thank you so much for having me i really appreciate it check her out it's sandra joseph we'll have the links under juicegururadio.com so you'll find Everything she's up to, including videos from The Phantom, are there. And please get her book. Uh, We'll talk more about it. Again, this is Steve Prusak. We're here with Sandra Joseph. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for being here. That was wonderful. Namaste, I should say. Namaste. Thank you for such wonderful questions and and letting me share the stuff that is important to me. Is there anything you want to just personally ask me about? I'm happy to. Well, I would love if you sang a little before we leave. I mean, <laughs> do you, you, you can't do that through the webcam. No, I'm not going to sing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, I, all right, I got that out of the way. I, at least I asked you. <laughs> no. um, but was there anything that we didn't touch on that you wanted to share? Because really, I feel like I could have gone on for a few hours. So was there anything else that you can share? Because we're still on Facebook. So um, anything else that you wanted to share to let anybody know or that I didn't get to ask in that time we were together? No, we touched on the, the principles that are the most important to me. Um, and, and thank you for asking those important questions. I, I do think for so many people that the fear is what holds them back from, from expressing more of who they are or going for the thing they really want to do. Um, and I love that we talked about what does success really mean and, you know, unmasking this whole idea of uh, I'm not there yet, never enough, never enough. Mm-hmm. Um, these are my favorite, I think, the most important principles from the book. And thank you for showing the book as you did. And- you know, it's just, but so, <laughs> <laughs> not enough interviewers are doing that, I'm sure. Um, and I always forget to have it nearby, but <laughs> it's nice that you showed it. Thank you. So do you have any plans of returning to Broadway or acting? I mean, your husband's on this Mormon Book of Mormon tour. Do you have any plans at all? And have you seen Hamilton yet? I have seen Hamilton twice. Um, in I saw it in Chicago and in San Francisco. I love it. Uh, and no, I do not have any plans of going back to eight shows a week. I love what I'm doing now. I really do. I mean, the the next vulnerable challenge for me was learning how to be myself on stage and not hide behind a character. So to me, that's, that's right now is the most empowering thing for me to do is to show up and, and be me instead of playing a part. 
And do you find your husband is on the same journey as he, you know, as an actor, right? He gets what it's like to be in the mask. Has your work helped him to evolve? Oh, well, the, the beautiful thing about where we are, you know, we've been together some 20 years now and, and we really have both been growing in the same direction. I know so many couples who grow apart and he and I have really been growing in this intertwining journey where he, as he's getting older, is getting closer and closer to the source and closer to his own essence and, and letting go of a lot of shoulds and letting himself luxuriate in the life that he's created and, and redefining what success means for him. You know, it's one of the beautiful things about aging is that, you know, in our twenties and thirties, such a, a sense of climbing to get to where we are hoping to be. And in the latter years after middle age, there's this deepening that, you know, it's less about touching the sky and more about touching the earth. And we're both on that journey right now. So it's really awesome. Well, thank you again for everything. I'm going to, for the people behind the stage here and on Facebook, I'm going to actually go to her website. I'm going to play us out with some Sandra Joseph from Broadway. So thank you, Sandra. I'm going to let you go, but I'm going to go ahead and, do a screen share and let everybody tune in to your incredible work who haven't had that opportunity. So thank you again for being here. And um, thank you, Steve. Bye-bye.
that brings tears for real. That is just, that's not lip syncing there. That's like the real deal. Wow. Oh my God. Well, see, <laughs> that was amazing. Thank you for, for taking us out with that, Sandra. That was, that was beautiful. Thank you for that. And one final question before we wrap up, because this is like a party and I just had one more question. You know, I noticed they changed the lyrics. Like early on, it was uh, long ago, how young and innocent we were. It was um, what, a, what a shame. She's not the same. She's no longer the gawkish girl that once she was. And then it changed to new lyrics. Um, how come some of the lyrics started changing in the show? I have no idea. <laughs> but yes, you're right. And they've changed it again. When I saw the show back in January for the 30th anniversary, there were lyrics in Think of Me that were different than the ones that I sang all 10 years that I was there. So I, someone on the team must just decide they like it. Probably Andrew, I would guess, decides that they liked it better another way and they decide to, to change and keep tweaking. But I will say there are very minimal changes in the show overall. Um, a lyric here and there, but it's pretty much the exact same show today that it was 30 years ago. And as far as costume sets, um, the makeup and hair wigs have evolved a little bit over time. They were pretty 80s <laughs> back when it started, the giant hair. They've, they've changed some of the orchestrations, um, beefed them up a little, more rock and roll sound going on. Um, maybe with Andrew's other show, School of Rock, he got inspired to make it a little bit more rock right. and roll. Um, but yeah, it's really wild watching that that old video. It was very, very live. I was not lip syncing, and it was early, early in the morning, and it was really cold. You can see my yeah, I, I didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> right in the bitter cold there. There you yeah, were belting it out. And one other thing is, and if you haven't seen The Phantom of the Opera, there's a great DVD of it, a Royal Albert Hall performance from like a couple of years back. Did you get a chance to see that? I did with the wonderful Sierra Bagas playing Christine. She is truly wonderful in, in the role. Yeah, and they did a great job filming it. It's too bad they didn't have the tech. Now they have the technology to do that kind of thing. Back, back then they didn't. But... Thank you again, Sandra Joseph. I could talk Phantom of the Opera all day and all night, so thank you for appeasing me here. <laughs> uh, I, will, I will honestly let you go. I'm like a stalker. I'm like, I got it. I'm not going to let her go, and now we're going to hear all I ask you. We'll, we'll let you go, and we'll let everybody okay. go. Thank you all for being here. Thank you, Sandra. I really Thanks, appreciate Steve. it. Thank you Have so much. Have a great much. one. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Juice Guru Radio. Find out more about us at juiceguru.com. Until next time, get your juice on.